I don't doubt it. I detect a note of scorn. I'm man enough to drink a prissy drink. Want to arm wrestle? I'd pop your elbow flat out of the socket. Oh, I bet you would. Let me try it, she says. I smack my elbow onto the bar, twist my palm into a wrestling grip. Your drink, she says. See, you can't make plans, says the old man as I slide the drink past him to the woman. Life don't let you. Wasn't long before I found out she was sleeping outside our marriage bed with my brother, Kurt. You don't say, I say. I just did, says the old man. But I could deal with that. Leastways, she kept it in the family. No need to upset the apple cart and spill the milk. What do you think, I say to the woman, whose pretty face is twisted sour after a sip of my drink. It tastes like hummingbird vomit, she says as she passes it back. My name's Victor, Victor Carl. What, they run out of last names when you were born, she says. Had to give you two first names instead? Exactly that. So what do they call you? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> I'm just trying to be friendly here. I know what you're trying, she says. But a smile starts breaking out anyway. It was the cancer finally did in all them plans, says the old man. It tore up the throat, Kurt's throat. When he died, she up and ran off with the night nurse. Happiest day of my life when she left. Now I miss her every minute of every hour. I loved her true like a Hank Williams song. But what does that matter? I snatch down the rest of my drink, and that is apparently the moment my mental recorder decides to go seriously on the fritz. I remember Jim Morrison intoning sweet mystical nothings from the jukebox. I remember my drink tasting funny and me laughing at the joke. I remember the old man getting up for a moment and me slipping onto his warm stool so I could sit next to the woman. I remember ordering us another round. She smelled of beer and gasoline and a clean sweat, that I remember, and I thought as I sat next to her that if I could bottle her scent right there, I could make a fortune in the perfume racket. At least I hope I only thought it, because if I said it, that would be a truly lame line, which might explain what I seem to remember next, her giving me a strange, piteous look, before pushing herself off her stool and starting out the door. I don't remember if I followed her or not, though I assume I did. I assume I did because in my memory it is as if right then a door opens and I step through it and find myself inside a strange muffled darkness. This is the sum of what I remember of the night, and after that, nothing. I awoke with a full body cramp on a hard tile floor. My head was leaning awkwardly against a wall, my legs were sprawled at uncomfortable angles, one of my arms was missing. An instant after I realized the arm was gone, I found it, dead to the world, pinned beneath my side. I rolled over to free it, sat up in a panic, flopped the appendage onto my chest. I slapped it, pinched it, let relief slide through me, as slowly, painfully, the nerves in my sleeping arm tingled to life. I was now sitting, I realized, in the front vestibule of my building. The night I had passed through was gone. The gray light of dawn slipped softly in from the street, revealing the sorry state of my corporeal condition. My suit was in tatters, my shirt untucked and torn, my tie untied but still looped within the buttons of my collar. My heavy black shoes were on, but my socks were missing. And I smelled like a mangy dog who had rolled in something. Physically, my neck was stiff, my hip was aching, my mouth was a cesspool, someone was chopping wood in my head, and there was a sharp, stinging pain in my chest.
as if I had fallen smack into the middle of a heart attack. Damn, I thought as I tried to rise on shaky legs and failed, plopping down again on the sore hip. It must have been a hell of a night. I tried to remember it all, but nothing came through, except for the image of a blonde in a leather jacket. On my second try, I staggered to my feet, fell with a clatter against the mailboxes, pushed myself back to standing. The small room stretched and contracted. The tiles in the floor spun. I sucked my teeth. They felt furry. I tried the door into the building, but it was locked. I patted my jacket and then my pants and was shocked to find my keys and wallet still in their rightful places. Okay, good. Things were not totally out of control. I was home. I hadn't been mugged. This could all be handled. I unlocked the door, pushed it open, fell forward through the doorway. My apartment, two flights up, was in as disastrous shape as was I. The cushions of the couch were slashed, the walls defaced, the shade of each lamp distended and torn. Atop a large television with its screen smashed sat another television, a small portable, with one of its rabbit ear antennae bent like a defective straw. You might surmise that this was all fallout from my wild night, but you would be wrong. It had been like this for months, the byproduct of a rage expressed toward me by an overzealous dental hygienist. The less said about her, the better. Yet the telling point is not that it happened, but that in the time since it happened, I hadn't done anything about it other than applying a few rolls of duct tape to the slashed fabric. What it said about the state of my life could fill volumes, but it wasn't volumes I was interested just then in filling as I burst through my door and staggered to the bathroom. In front of the mirror, as the back of my hand wiped my dripping mouth, I recoiled from a ghastly sight. Lon Chaney was starring in the story of my life, and it was definitely a B-movie. Turning my attention to my costume, I quickly realized that the only thing salvageable was my tie, an indestructible piece of red synthetic fabric that was a miracle of modern science. You want to know where all the money thrown at the space program went? It went into my tie. As quickly as I could, I pulled off the tie, then my suit jacket, my shoes, and my pants. But when I unbuttoned my shirt, something stopped me. Taped to my left breast was a wide piece of gauze. The pain in my chest was apparently not just metaphysical, and to my horror, I noticed that leaking through the gauze was blood. My blood. I ripped off the tape and slowly peeled away the gauze bandage. There was blood and an oily ointment, as if I had suffered through some sort of medical operation, and beneath that, something strange seemingly pasted onto a patch of my skin just above the nipple. I started wiping away the ooze, but it hurt too much. My skin was for some reason too raw. With a little bit of water and soap, I gently washed away the ointment and blood. Gradually, bit by bit, the thing underneath became clear. A heart, bright red, with two small flowers peeking out from behind either side, and a fluttering banner across it all. A banner with a name inscribed that I had to read backward in the mirror. Chantal Adair. I just stared at it for a moment, unable to process what it was. When it came to me, I started rubbing at it. I started scrubbing it, as hard as the pain would allow. But nothing happened. It wasn't pasted on at all. There it was, and there it would stay. For the rest of my life. Damn. I had gotten myself tattooed. After I showered and shaved, I put on a pair of jeans, but no shirt. I sat on my ruined couch with a lamp on and a mirror in my hand. 
Through the mirror, I stared at the tattoo on my chest. Chantal Adair. I struggled to remember who she was and why I thought her important enough to inscribe her name atop my left breast for all eternity. I struggled to remember her, and I failed. The entire night after I stumbled out the door of Chaucer's was a total blank. Anything could have happened. Was she the motorcycle blonde who had started my engine to running that evening? Most likely. But maybe she was someone else. Some mysterious woman I met in the course of a long, bleary tour through the darkness. And was my attempt to immortalize her on the skin above my heart a terrible drunken mistake? Or was it something else? Chantal Adair. The name tripped sweetly off my tongue. A pair of I am's bracketing a mystery. Chantal Adair. The tattoo itself was peculiar. There was something outdated about it. The heart was boldly red, the flowers yellow and blue, the banner carefully shaded about the slope of its curves. It was not the type of tattoo you would see on the young students showing off their skin art in the parks on summer afternoons. It belonged instead on the forearm of an old sailor man called Pappy, with the name of a prostitute in Shanghai scrawled across the banner. It was, to put a word on it, romantic. Chantal Adair. As I stared at the tattoo and said the name out loud, as I tried to dredge her image from the rubble of my memory, all I found was a sharp spurt of emotion that I was unable to identify. But the whole thing made me wonder. Sure, tattooing a stranger's name on my breast was most likely the product of an inebriated whimsy I regretted even as the buzzing needle slid the ink between the layers of my skin. But I couldn't stop thinking, couldn't stop hoping, that maybe it was something else. Maybe in the course of the long night I had...